0: Hello, everyone. I'm Alan Potcotter, and you're listening to Call Talk for July 22nd, 2020. Today's topic is customer experience and your company's human brand in 2020. If you're listening live, we invite you to be part of the show and ask questions. Here's how you do it. Email us at calltalk@benchmarkportal.com. I want to remind all of all of our listeners, that all of our shows are archived and available to listen to at Benchmark Portal any time of the day. And now, with that, I'd like to introduce the host of the show, Bruce Belfiore.
1: Thank you, Alan, and welcome back to Call Talk, everyone. Humanizing customer contact experience has never been more important. In the wake of the COVID pandemic, when people are really craving human interaction, We all need to think about making your company and brand synonymous with empathetic experiences. So we've invited an expert on this to our show today. Craig Brinkley is managing partner of Fidelim Partners, a strategy consulting firm using customer and employee insights to drive loyalty and growth. Before Fidelum, Craig was CEO of Northstar, an award-winning insights agency, and was also EVP of strategy for MDC Partners where he led the network's insights into digital transformation that is disrupting traditional market models and overall customer experience. And previous to that, Craig worked at Coca-Cola as Worldwide Director of Marketing for Diet Coke, Coke Light, and Minute Maid. Craig, do you have any samples to share? And welcome to the show.
2: No, they make me, they make me pay now. Um, like everybody <laughs> else. And, and, and I have to have it home delivered now, I guess, as well exactly okay good
1: well we're excited to have you on the show and the first question i guess is did you like diet coke or coke light better
2: <laughs> well, well that's a funny story i i i love diet coke you know i was uh, uh a heavy loyalist of diet coke before i even uh before i went there and so when i came in and looked at what they were doing with the brand i basically said you got it wrong i'm a user and you got it wrong and so we built Coca-Cola light on the chassis of New Coke's flavor with different sweeteners, mm-hmm. and I actually preferred it eventually. And so I used to bring it back from around the world, you know, to uh, to uh, to Atlanta when I would come in because all I had in the U.S. was Diet Coke. So I actually prefer Coca-Cola Light, to be honest with you. There
1: you go. Okay, and I, I'm an assistant scoutmaster, and every once in a while, when we're in Southern California, somebody's able to get the uh, regular Coke from Mexico that has the uh, the regular cane sugar in it or the the whatever it is. And it's always a big deal because they love that stuff. So anyway, well, now that we have that settled, <laughs> I'll note that <laughs> Craig that. and I are also members of PACE, uh, the nonprofit industry association for contact center managers. And Craig recently completed some really interesting research in conjunction with PACE into customer attitudes toward artificial intelligence and bots, which he will share with us later in the program. So, so Craig, let's jump into it. Uh, the title of this episode is customer experience and your company's human brand in 2020. Uh, what do you mean, Craig, by a company's human brand?
2: Yeah, so what we think about with the human brand, uh, you know, the founder of Fidelum, Chris Malone, wrote a book called The Human Brand, and it's not that it's, it goes to a fundamental human reality, right? There's a timeless truth of the way that human beings basically have a judgment criteria of things they interact with. And it's a very simple sort of a binary thing. It's kind of warmth and competence. And that's the foundation. And it's proven through time. And so the reason we talk about uh, customer experience and customer service and being in the company's human brand is because that principle still evolves. So companies are brands too, you know, just like people. And so, you know, humans don't differentiate. If they look at an animal, they decide, okay, is it competent or not um, to accomplish its goal? And is it warm towards me or not? So if I see a bear, a bear's goal towards me is probably not very positive. And I say it's highly <laughs> competent of achieving, of achieving that goal, right? We've got a lot of bears up here in the mountains that are that are coming lately. So, you know, you look and you say, okay, number one, their attitude towards me is cold, not warm. And number two, they're highly competent to achieve that goal. So if you take that to a company, you say, is this company warm or cold towards me, a basic thing, and are they competent to achieve those goals and how they operate? So there's different models for that. If you have sort of a warm and competent you know, idea, then you sort of get attraction and loyalty out of that. If you're warm but incompetent, well, what's going to happen is they say, well, they're a really nice company, they do nice things, but they're not, it's not very good. The product's not very good. The service is not very good. Um, Versus on the cold side, that just creates all kinds of, you know, begrudging cooperation if you have a limited set of options as a consumer, or it just basically gets rejection. So when we apply that model, that's why we want people to think about their company, uh, their company's reputation, their their service as sort of how people relate to brands the same way they relate to humans.
1: Yeah, it's it's very interesting because I think a lot of our listeners who are contact center managers for the most part could really relate to this when they think about uh, how we think about QA, because in QA there's two distinct parts. One is the uh, the part that has to do with soft skills. Okay, does the is the uh, person coming across, that is to say, is the agent, the rep, coming across as somebody who is warm or cold? Uh, and on the other hand, uh, the other part is are the hard skills, which has to do with are they following policies and are they getting the ra- right answer <laughs> to the person? So those uh, components, uh, you know, brought together really have a lot to do with bringing across the kind of competence you're talking about and the humanity that you're talking about. So, um, yeah, really, really important. More important today than, than ever, probably. Uh, so, so in fact, why is now a good time to talk about the human brand in companies?
2: Yeah, I mean, we're all living through this, you know, that we call it unprecedented, we call it challenging, uncertain, all the words that are being you know, thrown around about mm-hmm. the situation that we all find ourselves in on a global basis. And all of a sudden you know companies are in massive transformation by default everything's being transformed without without them wanting to you just have to rethink business models etc and what's happening is every person every company is being looked at in terms of how they're empathizing with their customers understand their customers situation um are they you know being warm and competent towards them you know so if you think about Empathy is being a key to your reputation. Are people, are companies being more human? They're being humanized. They're being forced to address customer service because of what's happening. And there's a lot of examples out there. I mean, you know, we did a study back in the day at North Star around, you know, trust um, with banks and financial institutions. If you go back a decade plus, you know, nobody trusted financial institutions. They were perceived as uncaring. If they were told they couldn't make money one way, they started adding fees another place. And that was a real, real problem for the industry. Uh, back in the you know 2008-2009 period, and we saw that improve over time. But now, whether it's because of regulation or not, banks are actually, you know, uh, dealing with their customers. How do I help you? How can I put this on forbearance? And so, uh, you know, are you affected? Can we help you? And so what's interesting is that companies have opportunities in crisis to rethink this and they're being forced in this case i mean you know your listeners may have may have seen this happen in their own businesses everybody's having to say wait a minute things that nobody paid attention to before because they were doing transactional kinds of things or they were measuring small things all of a sudden they're having to rethink everything and that transformational time frame is a great opportunity as a crisis to kind of look at what's happening and there's a very big difference between really what we call the principle of true worthy intentions so back to your point uh-huh. about the agent, you know, the agent being warm, and are they really showing true worthy intention? Because as humans, we give credit for that. If it's true worthy intention versus what we call sort of corona washing or greenwashing if you're doing, um, you know, environmental things, there's a lot of companies who greenwash. So they pretend mm-hmm. to do things and they try to jump onto the, you know, sort of bandwagon. And you've seen a lot of ads, a lot of things, you know, talking about the situation we're in. But if companies, if agents, if if all their customer service opportunities, if the way they're bringing products and goods and services to the market shows true worthy intention, that is a, a key part of this because a communal relationship okay, versus a transactional relationship requires absolute real responsiveness to customer needs. And so you've got to listen for those, you've got to adapt to those, and you can't just say, okay, I'm just protecting transactions.
1: Right, right. No, I, I, again, things that I think we can uh, sort of click into. And uh, your uh, expression there, Corona washing ads and green washing ads, I think are things that uh, particularly the younger generation is very uh, sensitive to. And actually that's one of the things that we all need to be aware of is that there's a heightened sensitivity on the part of our customers toward, uh, you know, the sincerity of the uh, the, the – uh, you know, the, the purpose of the companies that they're dealing with. And at, 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 in a way, it sounds like there's really nothing you can do about that, after all, corporations are corporations, and that's a, but that's not true. And you've seen it many times, I've seen it many times, where things have actually been turned around in customer contact functions and in other functions in company because from the top you have a uh, mandate that is backed up by, as you put it, true worthy intention and also support for the kinds of things that are necessary in order to make it true. So, you know, helping out customers during a tough time. Um, you know, we were with a one of the very large banks. Uh, we ended up with a uh, smaller local bank that was uh, absolutely wonderful, you know, during a whole, you know, period of our growth and everything else. So, uh, you know, I think, I think those points are extremely on point for our audience because if – our audience can actually bring across the true, worthy intentions through their agents and instruct them, coach them. This is where it's really important: is the coaching, so that people really understand it and, and realize that they're part of something that's bigger than just a transaction. It, it's really important. Well, let, let me ask you this: how many companies do you think were ready for this kind of onslaught of instant customer service needs?
2: From your experience, well, I think we'll find. Yeah, I think we'll find most of them. Most of them not. Um, for a lot of things that were happening, some of it because it was unprecedented, and some of it just because they didn't have, to your point, that true conviction. So transforming things requires, as you said, that deep conviction from the top, and then it requires a way to kind of lead people through that in terms of the metrics that you're that you're measuring on people, how you're you know dealing with performance, how you're coaching behaviors, all of those things, uh, whether they're the soft skills or the hard skills. And we had done some work way before, uh, you know, what happened now. But we were were talking to CMOs and CXOs about their readiness of, you know, for true customer service. And part of it goes back to the, you know, how customer service, you know, started, where it sat. You know, was it a marketing function? Was it a service function? Was it connected or integrated into the other things that the company was doing with their, their customers? And we found that most of them said customer feedback is common. So people are getting customer feedback, whether it's net promoter score, which we believe doesn't really do the, the justice to the real loyalty or to the warmth mm-hmm. and competence model. But you know, you're getting sort of customer service measures and customer feedback and doing surveys with full CX was quite was quite rare. And a lot of that had to do with, to your point, the conviction of the role of customer service and how important that was to the organization amongst the many other things that the C suite is dealing with. You know, I told the, mm-hmm. uh, on of the PACE webinars. I told the story about, we were working with Michael Dell and, you know, back in the day, Dell was the, they were the ones who, you know, personalized your computer. Everything was about true personalization. You know, the, the text and the specs were around what you ordered online. They made it specifically for you. This was your computer. And then what happened was if there was something wrong, they were very forgiving and they would ship you a new computer. They had high margins and things like that. Well, then what happens is once, you know, you got some people looking at the the metrics there, and they were looking at, for example, the hard things as you mentioned in the in the agent business. They were looking at, you know, call times, wait times, uh, rejects, and things like that. You know, or the insurance business, you know, which is what say say no the first three times somebody called. And so, if you look at that, what happened was they were actually destroying customer service by uh-huh. looking to create better efficient metrics in in the customer service part of the business. And so, it has to be that conviction from the top that says. We know how important this is, and what I'm personally hoping is that you know there's not such a thing as really a silver lining to something that we're suffering through as a, as a world here. But at the end of the day, the war room approaches that crises create. You know, and all the people out there, I'm sure, what, you know, we're doing it with board calls and things like that. We're having you know war room crisis type of meetings, right, where the people are much more integrated because people understand that there's a systemic problem that needs to be solved systemically versus operating in silos. And so I think hopefully that this sort of situation will do two things. One, it will refocus people on the customer relationship and what that means and and how to really service that in an integrated fashion. And number two, how to think about transformation versus transaction. You know, what if I buy this point solution and connect to that one? You know, um, the, a lot of the way IT was built was, you know, that's why they called it the DDS, they called it the hairball, was because you had one thing and then you added another thing. This person wanted this information, and that's what created the IT hairball. So hopefully now we're thinking about a more holistic, systemic kind of, uh, of transformation, and I think that's going to be helpful when we get to what I call sort of new reality. I mean, not necessarily new normal, but um, but new reality, because you know the reality is that things that are – anti-fragile are built to adapt. And I think that's what uh, people are learning now. You know, how do you redo your entire supply chain, your entire route to market, your entire customer service package, you know, at 30,000 feet in the middle of a pandemic and and an economic problem. So I think companies weren't ready for this. I'm hoping that the crisis that they're facing, if they approach it transformationally, um, I think will have them coming out better on the back end of it. Yeah.
1: Interesting. You, you mentioned the uh, the Dell uh, uh, example, and we worked with Michael Dell many years ago, uh, and uh, back when people were calling on the phone to order their uh, yeah, thing, even yeah. before it became popular to do it online. And uh, the advertisements back then were more about their customer contact function than about the machine itself. So it was all about the experience that you had in terms of calling up and uh, ordering your machine. And it was uh, one of the first Ads on TV that we in the contact center uh, you know industry saw, they really put what we did in uh, highlighted it, really put it in a, in a frame that was made it so important that that importance continues to this day, regardless of whether it's a telephone, whether it's uh, something online that we're doing, text, email, uh, chat, et cetera. And uh, so for everybody listening, those uh, functions continue to be extremely important. Each individual interaction is something that is uh, an interaction with a human being and really uh, plays to what Craig is talking about here. So, um, yeah.
2: Points uh, oh, on that, Bruce. Before you, I'll, I'll tie back yeah. to that, Dell, because it's a great example, and the, the more it's live, people can see it. You're exactly right. Mm-hmm. The first thing we did when we went to Dell was we went into their contact centers and we listened mm-hmm. to calls. And so, the script and the, the order in which they talk to people about a warranty versus a computer, you know, think about from a warmth and competence model, if you start talking to me about, do I want a warranty with my computer? Because that's what the, that group wants to sell warranties, but I haven't ordered my computer yet. You know, why are you talking to me about a warranty? And the way, one of the ways we, we uh, were brought in was because they had done a segmentation about self-service techies that knew all about the, the bits and the bytes and what they wanted versus what were called assistance seekers, you know? And so to your point, to really relate to that customer, one of the things we do in a lot of industries is to look at some basic customer segmentation and say, hey, can we quickly determine where this customer is coming from so we can better relate to them on that call center experience? And then we connect that through omni-channel. So whether it's chat, it's the, it's the, the, the contact center, it's online this, or, or whether it's bot-driven or human-driven, if we think about an omni-channel relationship and we know that much more about this person, they're really high assistance seekers, The AI provides all the data about their frequency of shopping, how loyal are they. The more we understand that customer in that interaction, the better we're going to be able to show both warmth and confidence to them.
1: Right. No, absolutely. Great, great points, great points. And just to let our audience know that uh, people don't always do everything right, Uh, there was a period of time in which Dell uh, decided to send its calls overseas. Uh, We really wasn't prepared for it. There were tons of complaints. Uh, that uh, ability to connect with the customer, to give them the kind of experience that the folks in the United States have been able to give wasn't there, and they had to pull stuff back. So, you know, uh, people do make mistakes. You really do have to understand your customer and understand what is going to make that uh, experience uh, for us. So, so actually that, that leads into what does the overall role of customer experience and contact centers play in this type of customer connections? What are your thoughts on that, Craig?
2: Yeah, I man. that's a great that's a great connection. You talk about uh, how they had to rebuild it. You know, we did the study on on AI and the role of sort of technology um, in customer service across a bunch of different industries with the work we did with Pace. And so, to your point, what we did was we rooted it in does it matter to to people, right? And what we found mm-hmm. is that 74% of people strongly agree on a six and seven point scale that good customer service and support experiences are a critical driver of loyalty. So if you think about that, to your point, any technology or automation in the call center, in the old customer contact relationship that damages those experiences could be costly. And you may find yourself later having to make up for that stuff. So Mm -hmm. the irony is that contact centers um, traditionally are where the customer comes in. So if anybody should be, you know, customer connected, it should be there. One of the interesting uh, things that happens, though, your point about offshoring and best shoring and some of those kinds of things that happen is that if that's a BPO operation, there's a whole lot of connectivity between the client's business themselves and how they relate to a BPO partner. So mm-hmm. as a BPO partner and an outsourced program, it's critical that you are connected to them as a true partner and that you sort of elevate your skills as a, as a, as a customer contact facilitator for them or a partner to them. Um, when I was running North Star, I used to say, if anybody calls me a vendor, I, I don't want them. I, I want to be a partner to people. So what that mm-hmm. means about leadership and all the different things that you can do. It's a great component of what a BPO call center can do for driving customer service of, uh, of the, the customer's in thing. And that's sort right. of a, a broader set of issues around, you know, digital and technology. A lot of the reasons, you know, we used to work for, B, for a British Telecom and BPO for Telco What we talked about was we said, you know, what are your core competencies as a company? What business are you in? And if your core business is not, you know, call center business, you should outsource that because somebody's an expert in that. And the listeners here, you know, probably come from that world. And then what happens is you get access to digital and tech platforms that you can't do on your your entire side. The reason you're BPO is because you can't keep up with the the, the tech behind it and, and the agility that happens and things like that. So what's interesting about it is those are built to be virtual. I mean, customer contact centers, by definition, are built to be virtual connections. And so if you can reconnect all those different models into supporting customers, whether that's looking at whether your contact center has outbound uh, responsibilities for some marketing and service and remarketing opportunities versus all inbound customer service, whether it's connected to things like Uh, distributed order management if you're on the retail side or um, kind of uh, restaurant order flow management. We're doing work in some platforms there in the uh, uh, sort of servicing the the food service business from customers wanting to get food to when it actually shows up and gets delivered and everything in between. And so I think um, contact centers have a great opportunity to be the point of a transformational customer service conversation, if you think about it that way, right? Right. Um, Absolutely. uh, Again, leveraging, yeah, yeah, leveraging the fact that all your customers are in forced transformation, leverage Mm -hmm. that as a contact center to really reinforce the role that you can play, the way that you can connect things, the 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 capabilities that you have as a partner, not as a particular point solution vendor or uh, uh, an RFP response uh, vendor. I I think that's
1: that's so important, and the experience that I was talking about with uh, Dell. Uh, that goes back almost two decades. So, I mean, so much has been learned since then, and the partnership that a lot of people now have with uh, outsourcers uh, is uh, BPOs is uh, so much different than it was back then. Uh, basically, now the uh, ability to to really connect and come up with an operation that can help you connect is uh, is something that's uh, really gone leaps and bounds. We're going to have to go into questions soon, but I was just wondering if you could say a few more words about the results of the PACE research, because I think our audience would be interested in that.
2: Yeah, for sure. So, what we found in there was that because customers still prefer to get the option that best meets their needs. So, a lot of the metrics in the contact centers are, you know, how fast do we put somebody, how do we escalate, all those different kind of factors that, that add cost. But what we found was that customers overwhelmingly, 73%, prefer to have the option to speak to a live person promptly. So you think about different industries and when the, cons- the consumer comes to a customer service center on the inbound side, because they have a mission, they need to accomplish something. And across industries, the more that was to resolve a problem or to do anything other than specific easy tasks, like changing passwords or things like that, uh, or getting updates on order status, people want the option to speak to a human. So anything as you're doing your AI uh, roadmap, anything that doesn't allow that sort of easy button to a human has great potential to destroy loyalty because we prove that they want humans access and we prove that the relationship and the service level does tie to business results. So there is an ROI. Okay. So
1: so just so that we understand, it's not that they necessarily um, are going to use the human option. They may be very happy with the AI option if it's well done, but they want to have the option of going to a human if they need to. Is, do I have that correct or not?
2: Yeah, that's correct. And yeah. I think, you know, we talk about AI a lot and say, you know, it, instead of thinking about it as artificial intelligence, think about it as augmented intelligence or mm-hmm. just simply, uh, I call it um, assisting Iron Man. So you think about Jarvis, which is, you know, give mm-hmm. better information to the agents and turn the agents into Iron Man. Um, because mm-hmm. Jarvis doesn't, you know, do anything that Iron Man does. He just gives them all the facts and figures he needs. And so if we can think about, AI is better preparing our agents to be both uh, warm and competent, to your point, hard skills and soft skills. That's a proper Mm -hmm. use of what we found for AI across industries.
1: It's going to be really interesting going forward because uh, what we found in some studies we've done is that the the bot thing is still pretty early going. Uh, There's a lot of work that's been done. There's a lot of people uh, in the more advanced parts of our sector who are doing a lot of work with it, but it's still – you know, early going for an awful lot of companies, and it's going to be interesting to see how it goes. Um, and I think, though, the, the, the principle that you mentioned, which is that, you know, get the bots, get the AI as, as good as it can get, but also give people the option to talk to a human being if they want to, is a very valuable thing to keep in mind. Escalation. I mean, think about it. You
2: know, escalation is a, uh, a fundamental exhibitor of warmth. If I'm willing mm-hmm. to escalate your problem um, to address it, then that by itself shows both warmth and competence. Interesting.
1: Okay, good. Well, let's, let's, uh, with that, uh, let's go to Alan because I think he's got a couple of questions for us. Yes,
0: the first one we have is from Jim, and he is asking, what do you think are the best ways to get rep or agent-level buy-in for the approach you are talking about?
2: Oh, that's a good question. Um, so we think there's these two sides to transformation. We think there's a customer uh, experience transformation that we've talked about, you know, the conviction of what it means to your business and that you need to execute against it on an integrated fashion. We also were looking at the employee experience for a lot of reasons. One is retention and all those problems that we know we have in places, but also because we fundamentally believe that creating a model where the people that are executing your customer experience, which are your employees, your team members, your agents, they're critical to actually being able to do that, the hard and soft skills that you mentioned before. And so if you're thinking about the best ways to get rep level, number one, you've got to have that uh, transformational agenda and set of convictions that not only address the customer needs, but that address the people's needs. You know, we do work on segmentation of actual team members to understand, you know, Everybody that works for you is not the same. So you need to understand how to connect to them on their terms just like you would a customer. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, the uh, one of the concepts that uh, we've tried to bring across with regard to training of uh, agents or reps is uh, that supervisors, uh, coaches, should be looked at not as supervisors as much as agent advocates. In other words, uh, they should be the ones who are, Giving the skills, imparting the skills to the agents, so that they can be successful, and that success is going to be to everybody's advantage. And that if, and to the extent that there are um, incentives that the centers have for supervisors, for those people doing the coaching, it really should be aimed at saying, okay, how good are you at mentoring and developing these people? So um, yeah, that's the only thing I have there. And
2: and to your point. Yeah, and showing both warmth and confidence as, as leaders right. to them. You know, what we yep. found that in a study we just did for a client, which is on the employee side, the manager's got my back kind of an idea is huge, right? Uh, giving, showing the opportunities, all those things that aren't transactional, but they're much more relational, communal relational between, um, quote, you know, leaders or managers and trainers and the actual uh, agents. So I think having that relationship right. and warmth and competence show on both sides is the key to transformation. uh uh-huh excellent
1: okay alan do we have another question yes we have the
0: next one from jerry he is asking we are in the insurance industry what are the specific items that managers in my industry should take away from your
2: research uh yeah so you know insurance is a very interesting one because you know we did work on six different industries we covered banking healthcare, you know uh, insurance retail some other things And insurance is an interesting place where people have a a lot of options because, you know, insurance moved online more rapidly. And so it really has a lot more uh, digital kind of componentry to it. And so when somebody reaches out in insurance, there's a lot of self-service kinds of things. And so I think that the the takeaway there is that when somebody calls on an insurance basis, if it's a policy-based kind of a thing or billing, that's one thing, but when they call and they have uh, to resolve something, whether that's, you know, a a case whether it's health insurance or it's property insurance or property and casualty or auto, then what you've got is a situation where somebody really does need empathy. Somebody really does need support. They need to be listened to. And I think the insurance people should take away that it's not just about being funny on all the commercials, which people have decided that's the way to communicate with consumers for some reason. And I have friends who run those companies, but um, whether it's humorous or not, when they call up, you know, they don't want a funny gecko. They don't want a guy who talks about mayhem, and they don't care what Dennis Haysbert thinks about stuff. They really have their issue. And so insurance is a very typical, kind of like healthcare. When I'm calling you, I really need you to pay attention to me. And the humanity of that is very critical in that industry.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. And I, I've seen a lot of really good examples of uh, management that's able to – Uh, communicate that to the agents and the agents then do it. I mean, uh, think about life insurance, for example. I mean, you're talking with people who are oftentimes recently bereaved and uh, really, uh, you know, uh, struggling with all that. So you you, you have to teach for those things and and those people have to really be able to bring across the the warmth that you're talking about.
2: I think we have time for one more question. Oh, oh, sorry, go ahead. The the idea of situational empathy I think is a key Mm -hmm. theme that all the listeners should be thinking about because – we see that a lot in healthcare, uh, and to your point, in insurance. So in healthcare, if you're talking to somebody, it could be the worst day of their life. Uh, to your point yes. on bereavement, right? And so understanding that if you're in healthcare and you're just an appointment taker, you're still a reflection of that company and that human brand of that company. And so teaching situational empathy to to agents, the people that do things that might be transactional, but realizing the context of that interaction, that human being on the other end of the line could be an incredibly uh, empathetic emotional situation for them, not transactional. Right, right.
1: Perfect. Okay. Alan, I think we have time for one more question.
0: Yes, we have one more from Matthew. And he's asking, should I be rethinking the idea of my customer service measurements during this pandemic period?
2: Uh, I think I think people should be rethinking their measurements in general, again, we, we kind of argue against net promoter score because it doesn't really fit in a lot of places uh, versus sort of relational stuff and, and warmth and competence measures, which we've proven work better to, to show business results. But also, um, a lot of people have started asking, should they stop talking to consumers because it's such a confusing time and are there going to be bad information and bad measures? And Ansac is a client of ours when they were having some issues. And they wanted to literally cut back on their tracker because they were concerned about seeing negative scores. And what we say is, no, when things like this are happening, you need to understand your customers even more. You need to double down on measuring your relationships and, and you know, your, your outreach to them. Again, everything communicates. Everything you say, everything you don't say, and everything you do and everything you don't do. So if you don't say anything, if you're not talking to your customers during this time um, with relevant materials that show empathy, warmth, and competence, That that says something about who you are. So you should not be cutting back on measurements. You should be actually doubling down on measurements. But the kinds of things you're asking need to go a lot deeper than just simply saying, you know, net promoter score, high level kind of measures. You need to be understanding what's really happening with your customers in this environment, how you can really have true uh, worthy intentions that you can exhibit to them. Uh, to really show that you have a, a relationship, a communal relationship versus a transactional relationship with them. So I would not cut back on measures. I would definitely be talking to your customers even more, understanding what's going on in their in their lives and how you can better support that.
1: Yeah, I would just add, uh, chuckle a little bit, uh, Craig, when you said bad measures – because uh, there's, there's two ways you can take that, right? Uh, uh, is it because people are afraid of negative feedback that will make them look bad in front of their senior management? That's one way of looking at bad measures. And the other, of course, is not valid measures, uh, or for some reason the data is not valid for some reason. And mm-hmm. uh, here we just have to be honest uh, with ourselves and say, look, uh, you know, we, as you said, we need to call the data for the, the validity and the, the truth that it can tell us. And then do something about it, because that's really the way that you uh, you, you can get better and uh, just be above board about it. Um, you know, I think we've seen in the pandemic those uh, leaders who've talked openly about the uh, problems and the issues and the uh, the downside, uh, but then do something about it are the ones who come through as uh, true uh, political leaders. And the same thing's true for uh, the corporate side. We need to uh, be open to things that are not going well and then do something about them well these have been really really good uh, insights here and we're uh, a little bit over our normal time but I think it's really been worth it Craig do you have any last things you'd like to say before we hand things back over to Alan to uh, wrap things up
2: I just think I would encourage people to look at the pace information um, that we that we developed you know for, for for pace just that you should be thinking about what that means for you um, but I where, think-
1: can, where can they find that where could they find that Craig
2: uh, they can find it at Pace, uh, professional association of customer experience, you know, dot com. Um, yep. But also at com they can find it. Um, but I think the thing is to really think about these times as a transformational time. So people are thinking about things transactionally. I need to do this. I need to do that. And that's true. But if there were ever a chance to rethink um, and just step back for a minute from the weeds and think about kind of what's happening in the world and how you can better serve customers in this experience, And how you can better provide value to your own customers as a call center business to be a true partner versus a vendor, the more people step back and look at this and say, okay, what really does this mean? If there's ever a time to transform and really set a new path around some key convictions about customer centricity, now is the time. Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
1: That's great. We've been seeing that too. I mean, some people are sort of level setting now. Uh, This is a good time to do that. Uh, do your benchmark, find out what your, uh, your actual performance is against your industry and, and, you know, where you can then take it from here uh, with the concepts and the, uh, uh, the, the ideas that you were talking about, Craig. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a great episode of Call Talk. And with that, I'd like to hand things over to Alan. Thanks again to Craig and to Bruce for your insightful
0: discussion on today's show. We hope you can join us next month for another great show or look at our huge selection of archive shows on hot topics at BenchmarkPortal.com. Then click on Call Talk where you'll find over 11 seasons. From all of us at Benchmark Portal, keep those headsets steady and your fingers ready. Stay safe and stay healthy. This is Alan Potcutter signing out. Have a great day.